Good morning, evening, or afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the One Up Podcast. Uh, with me again, as always, is uh, George Martinez. I'm Milos Bukaritsa. Manuel's back on the podcast. I'm so glad I have him back. Fuck yeah, thanks, buddy. And our guest today is Xander Wagner, a filmmaker that I've worked with a long time ago, and that's made some really awesome work here recently, especially in Octopia, which we're going to talk about later. That movie is fucking amazing. So, anyways, what you been up to, man? What's new? How's life? Life is good. Uh, yeah, just finished uh, Noctopia last year. Uh, we shot in April, and it played at a couple of festivals. Uh, it came out in October of 2020. Um, yeah, very proud of it. So you guys can go watch that now if you want. Hell yeah! Was that a was that a COVID film? Did you make it through COVID? It was a COVID film. It was right after the pandemic hit, so it was like a month after. And um, had the idea for a couple years, but you know, COVID brought the perfect opportunity to finally uh, make it. So. Nice. Hell yeah, man. Because, I mean, it, was that you doing narration too, I think, right? Yeah. So, basically, it was just shot in my apartment, just my girlfriend and I. And I did everything behind the camera. She was in front of the camera. So, uh, yeah, did all the color, the sound, everything pretty much. Can you tell us what the film's about? Yeah. So, it's about a uh, woman who does uh, a meditation app. And it's a guided meditation. And basically, it sort of turns into something else, kind of becomes a horror film. So, uh, yeah, that's all I can really say. That's the best I can describe it. If you want to go watch it, it's out there. So, absolutely. Hey, real quick, real quick. What's your YouTube handle? They can watch. Uh, it? They can watch it at Horatorium. Has uh, Noctopia along with a couple other shorts I've done, including Pappy, which I did with Milos. Oh, that was so much fun, man. <laughs> Probably. Now, I mean, I do have to say second most fun shoot I've ever been on because obviously JP Geist is superior to everything else. Okay. That terrible, terrible movie. It was just so much fun to work on. Can people watch that somewhere? Of course. Uh, it's just look up JP Geist on YouTube. Okay. Milos it, always plugs it for yeah. some reason. <laughs> it's not because, because, I, because it's my magnus opus of acting, magnum opus. I get killed That's right, in a very in that. Yeah. brutal, shitty way. That movie is like... Like hot garbage, but like in an amazing you way. You get your skull ripped out, right? Yes, okay, you remember. remember. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> oh, that movie is terribly amazing. It's really entertaining. I love it. Yeah. I'm hoping to have JP on the podcast in the future sometimes. Uh, but yeah, man. So uh, how'd you get your start in film? I know you do, you've been you're a very creative person. Obviously, all the stuff you do is like super visual, super like, I guess very creative. I guess that's the best way I can put it. Uh, yeah. So I, I think I started kind of late. I mean, most people out here talk about filmmaking. They get into it very young. They're making like Super 8 films or, you know, they're kids and they're recreating stuff they've seen. I wasn't really like that. Um, I kind of got into it after high school. I was 18 and discovered the world of independent film through uh, a movie called VHS. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. It's an independent horror film. And I watched that and it kind of blew my mind how uh, rough it was and how like kind of low quality it was and lo-fi. And I was like, man, the uh, the quality on the phone in my in my pocket is better quality, you know. So, I it, something just clicked for me when I was 18 watching that, and I was like, I could make something like that. So, uh, I kind of did that and just haven't looked back. So, I think I got into it about the same age too. Really? But yeah, but I was always like into drawing. Like I would be drawing like comic books. Okay. So I was sketching, and then like somehow for some reason it clicked because it felt like film like mixed everything together that I was interested in for sure. And so I got more into it. Then I learned like about Robert Rodriguez and got into his stuff. And like, he was the same way he was like cartoonist and then got into film, but I never really got to play around with the camera until I was like out of high school. Yeah. I was probably like 17, almost 18. That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't really start as a, you said you drew cartoons and stuff. I didn't really start as a visual person uh, to begin with. Um, 
that's something I had to kind of grow into and learn. And uh, I didn't do too much drawing as a kid. I was very into music. So I had a guitar when I was like 10 and played a lot of music and uh, eventually, you know, in high school started a band and did all that. But uh, so the visual world was something that was completely new to me and like something I had to discover. And it's something I love playing in. I love film for that reason, mixing sound and visual. I think it's uh, it's a fascinating medium for sure. Do you remember who did the storyboard for Pappy? Yeah, it was the DP, Jake. Jake Guy did it, yeah. Because mm-hmm. Miller's, he loved the storyboard for it. He's like, oh, I like to make it into an animated film like this. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> very good. So well Jake done, is yeah. a great, uh, um, what do you call that? Artist? Uh, cartoonist. Draw- I cartoonist. <laughs> I don't know if he does cartoons, but uh, his hand drawing skills are, are pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, back to the whole getting into movies, man. Yeah, I also got it around the same age, around 18, uh, 17, 18. Uh, one of my friends had a YouTube channel was kind of starting to get some views on it or whatever. I was like, you know what? Let me just do something for fun. So really, really shitty YouTube videos that uh, nobody should ever see. Uh, oh, yeah. Let me get closer. Sure, I'll get closer to Mike just for you. There we go. All right. <laughs> and um, for any of y'all who are wondering, by the way, real quick, we do have a video version of this podcast. comes out a week after every episode on YouTube.com slash The Opposition, right? Yeah. The yeah, Opposition. Cool. Awesome. But, yeah, so uh, I started doing that. And then much like you, I discovered uh, through Angry Video Game Nerd, uh, this guy named uh, John Johnson who's a filmmaker up out of uh, 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 Virginia area, who made like these really shitty but very self-aware horror movies. And I was like, dude, if he can do this shit, so can I. And so obviously like he inspired me to become a filmmaker. And so that's why I'm still doing it. Yeah. So yeah. around the same age, around 18. Yeah. Yeah. So where'd you go from there, man? So I know I met you at TCC. Uh, did you intend to go for uh, film and TV and TCC, or is that just something you kind of fell into? Uh, I really stumbled into it. Uh, mm-hmm. I was trying to just finish my degree there and had a bunch of electives I had to take. And I was like, you know, film would be cool. And I was already making films at that time, like right after high school. So this was probably around like 20, 21 when I joined the, the film program there. And uh, yeah, it was it was pretty great. I met a lot of great people and things like that. The learning side of it, though, uh, it, this sounds weird, but I feel like I've had to unlearn a lot of things that I learned there because it's very sort of by the book and some of it's outdated. And so you sort of have to unteach yourself those things you learned and sort of um, especially just the way I do things like I, I'm very much like a DIY filmmaker type person. So I like uh, doing things a little bit differently. I like doing everything. You know, I like having and holding the camera and being the DP and doing the sound and everything like that. So um, I know in film school, they teach you like you have to work with a big crew. And I think that's the case for a lot of projects. Like, I don't think we could have made Pappy without the crew we had, right? Like yeah, absolutely. we needed people to move that huge fortune teller machine. We needed the big, uh, the big crew and everything. But um, yeah, but overall that's kind of how I ended up there. And that's, I guess how we met. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We met in, I th- I don't know if you were in my writing class or not. I don't know. Yeah, we were in script writing. That was yeah, the yeah. first class I took. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where we, you know, I think we made quite a few of those into short films, which was really nice. I remember, uh, I don't think you were on spoilers, if I remember correctly. I no. don't remember, but that was one of them we made through that. And then, hey, of before course, we get too far, so. I wanted to actually get back into what you were saying, like having to unlearn some things. Because mm-hmm. I've talked to other people, other filmmakers who they'll go to school for film, and it's almost like they learn so much that. They kind of stop being creative. Yes. Like. Yeah. No, I've seen this a lot. So I think there's two sort of different types of, um, let's say, creators, right, that go to film school. So there's the people that go in and they want to get a job in the film industry. That's their goal. And I think that's where school can be really helpful because you do make those connections. You figure out how sets work, what the different jobs are, 
what you can be interested in. And then I think there's another group of maybe smaller group of people. And I think I kind of fit into that, which are kind of filmmakers who like they want to tell stories. They just want to make stuff. They just want to create cool uh, things, you know. And so I think for them, it's a little bit harder because you're sort of taught these things and the way things are supposed to be. And it's not necessarily the way they always have to go, you know. So unlearning those kind of things like we always hear. Uh, I'm trying to think of an example like the axioms, the film school axioms, like show, don't tell, right? It's like, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. And you hear that regurgitated over and over and over. But after you start doing it on your own, you learn like, that's just not the case. It's almost right? like they give you so much, so much more that you never thought about that. Now, when you're actually going to the project, you're thinking about all these things mm -hmm. and trying to make sure you're including them to the point where it kind of compromises what you're trying to do. It's like, it keeps you from actually being a little bit more creative and just trying things out. For sure. So when I left TCC, I actually made a conscious decision not to be on sets, not to pursue film as like a career, because I thought that would just ruin it for me. I was like, if I stay in this bubble, I'm just going to think like everyone else. I'm going to make stuff like everyone else. And you definitely see that in like the film festival scene. You see a lot of these films that have like weirdly similar tones and weirdly similar plots. And you're like, oh, everyone's just kind of in this bubble. And so I think for the work to be really strong, you have, you have to sort of step outside of that, have different experiences, do different things, be interested in different things. I think that's the greatest tool a filmmaker can have is like all this sort of life experience and diff, you know knowledge of different mediums and different subjects. And so that's something film school cannot teach you. There was a, a show, a competition show on Stars called like the director's chair. Mm -hmm. And it had some guy from YouTube. Uh, do you remember him? Sean Dawson, Sean Dawson. Oh, Shane Dawson. Shane yeah, Dawson. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. So that. Shane Dawson, and then like a graduate from the New York Film School. So both of them got chosen to take part of this contest, and they're given the budget by, I think it was Zachary, Zachary Quinton, the guy from Star Trek. Oh, Spock. The new Spock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like one of the producers on it, so he gave them like each a budget. They got the same script. They could make the changes they wanted, and so whenever you go and see it. The version that ends up coming out from the girl from film school, it has a quality to it where you're like, this really does feel like a academic filmmaker's movie because yeah. there's like a similarity in tone that you see that these uh, more academic filmmakers have. For sure. And then, of course, like the Shane Dawson, he just leaned into what he was already doing and mm -hmm. just made more, more of his stuff. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, I feel like you would uh, get along great with uh, one of our other guests we had on here, Jorg Victor Steinslaus. I think I finally said his name right for the first time. You're welcome, George. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, he never really went through film school. We met him at one of the TCC Film Festivals long after we stopped being involved. So, you know, the films kind of went down. Uh, I'm not saying it's, you know, we were that good or anything, but just, I guess, the drive really kind of went down for it, which kind of sucks. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he never went to film school, and uh, he's out here, you know, making movies, working on stuff. Uh, what well, last time we talked to him, he said it was up in Washington making a movie, doing a whole bunch of stuff. But um, the whole thing you're saying, you know, you don't want to be stuck working on set on one thing. Yeah. It's kind of similar to what he was talking about about union versus non-union, where like he said Washington was a union state, so he could only do camera or lights or whatever he was doing. He couldn't do anything else. Mm -hmm. I think it was lighting he was doing on that movie. And then to get to get some um, uh, to get some B-roll and some other you know uh, small small shots, whatever. He actually went across state lines to whatever is next to Washington to shoot all the stuff because they're non-union, so he could do whatever the hell he wanted. Right. Yeah. So 
I think Prentice was talking about that on y'all's last yeah. podcast mm-hmm. episode. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just, just what you were saying is like, you know, in Texas, I feel like you could actually, you know, expand and do whatever you want. You can make the films you want, even right. so it doesn't even matter. I don't yeah. know what the laws are in Texas. If you need a permit to film, uh, but I've gotten pretty, I've gotten away with a lot. Oh, of course, you know, of course. Have shoot all? stuff and run away. I've heard it's haven't much harder in uh, California. And <laughs> yeah, like that, there's but. there's a difference in California where since everyone's used for to people like shooting around there and like getting locations rented out, a lot of the locations would want money up front because yeah, they'll make some extra cash on the side by renting out to like movie studios and just letting them shoot there. For and then sure. all the new YouTubers are shooting. They're just so used to it that they try and charge. And if a cop sees you like sh- just shooting on the street, they'll ask you for a permit over here. Sometimes you get more flexibility. Like it's not that usual that someone's shooting. So you get more leeway manual, like shot a short film at the water gardens, right? Yeah. It was all downtown. Yeah. And like, then the cop come up to you like while you guys were shooting, um, no, that was an accident that happened with my friend. He had to use the restroom and he had nowhere to go. So he pulled up to an alley and they had cameras. All over that alley. <laughs> and then the cop finally came, gave him a ticket. And that was that. After that, they left us alone. They're like, okay, we'll go ahead and finish your movie. Just don't use the streets as the public restroom yeah. anymore. You can make your movie. Don't take a shit. Yeah, yeah. And we're like, all right, cool. Um, but it's part of the movie, officer. <laughs> and he might have got away with it. Yeah, they were like uh, bike cops, I guess. I don't know. They were like road cops, but just like people that, you know, inspect the streets. Oh, I know. I know there was another one. I thought it was the one at the water garden, but you said somebody from the buildings like reported him and the cop showed up. But he's like, oh, you guys are shooting this short film. It's like, OK, cause the people around here were kind of scared because they were using like prop guns. Oh, <laughs> and they're, so the cops stayed there until they finished up. And he's like, all right, it's fine. It might have been the one that we filmed that was like 30 minutes. It was called the circle, maybe. I know we had guns all over the place in Fort Worth in that prop guns all over the place in Fort Worth <laughs> in that film. All we went to Trinity Park, we had guns there. We went to different parks and just had a bunch of props that we just got away with, you know. And I mean, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know about the filming permits and stuff, but <laughs> yeah, see, no permits. Yeah, there, no, there permits. Were no permits that we had. Yeah, so. yeah, I remember. I think we got kicked out once for working one of the Tres- one of Tresford's film downtown. We got we got, had to move locations because oh, I had like that. that happen once downtown. I was uh, working for this like boutique where I was like taking photographs and taking a little bit of video mm-hmm. for their website, and we had one of the security guards from Sundance Square come come up to us and asked us if we had a permit. They're like, no, but it's like a student project. It's like. We just asked if it was all right, and they said yes. And they're like, okay. So as long as it was a student project, they let, let you shoot. But <laughs> yeah. if it's something commercial, they they want you to pay for it. 100%. Yeah. Also, always make sure one of your people on set goes to school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Flash yeah. that student ID card. Yeah. There you go. Man. You bring the student up here. Oh, this is the director? <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So back with student films and stuff like that, let's talk about Pappy a little bit. Okay. Because, yeah, so we're almost coming up. Actually, we are at like the sixth anniversary. Five years. F- five, five. Yeah, five. Yeah, five. Yeah, yeah. Five, fifth anniversary here it's in a couple crazy. days. God yeah. damn, bro. I can't believe it's been that long. For but people like, that don't know, explain what Pappy is. I just want to say before we get on with that, I love that movie so much. I actually printed, a, I had my sister print me a big ass poster for my bedroom a couple of years ago for my birthday. And so I just have it hanging up above my bed, a big ass poster of Pappy. So Pappy is the short film that. Um, also came out of that scriptwriting class, me and you were in one of our friends, Kevin Fichtel. Best script of the semester. Yes. 100%. Yes. Yeah. 
So he had a trip somewhere. He saw Pappy, went home, had a nightmare, and then wrote a script about this puppet or this um, fortune teller puppet who scared the part. crap out of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what, he, that's what he said inspired him was, you know, just seeing that and just, I think, having like a nightmare about it afterwards. And uh, yeah, so we, we, he pretty much went and, uh, you know, wrote this short film about uh, these two brothers who go up and see, uh, or friends, we, I don't know what it was in the script exactly, but um, these two friends who go to a... This thing, and then you know things happen. It's a horror movie. Things happen. Things I think, happen. Yeah. I think we might That's have what to leave it at that. October. Point. I was like, things happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because it's a short film, you know, you can't really, you like, you can't do trailers for short films because you know you can't really explain too much because you know it's pretty simple. So yeah, I mean, how did the I forget? Did you ask to direct it, or were you asked to? Direct I was very it? interested in the script when mm-hmm. uh, it was read out loud, and when I heard they were directing, I think it was the previous semester. The script was floating around there, and he read it, and everyone loved it including myself. And then uh, it was the following, it was that spring, I was hearing whispers that it was going to get made. And so I just kept asking around. I think I asked Jake and then eventually I talked to you and you were producing it. And I kind of threw my hat in the ring. And I think you were kind of like, eh, I don't know, what's this guy done or whatever. And I was like, (laughs) all right. So uh, I think I just kept bugging people and eventually everyone sort of back down from it and was like, who's going to direct this? And then I guess I was the last one standing. So um, well, I'm sure glad you did, man, because it turned out fucking amazing. <laughs> it did turn out good. I wish I spent more time on it because, uh, you know, I was doing other projects. I was in post for a short film. I was writing two things. So I don't know if I gave it all the attention it deserved, but it was definitely a fun experience and definitely um, one of the few times or actually the only time I've directed someone else's material. And it's probably the last time I'll do it. But <laughs> I just had to do it. I was like, I can't write a script better than this. So. I definitely want to make this. I mean, you did contribute a lot, man. You contributed to the fucking box. That's so, true. So yeah. Pappy sits in this in this wooden box, basically. So Alex had a broken ass uh, claw machine yeah. that we ended up retrofitting into a full uh, full uh, uh, what you call it fortune teller box. Yeah. Yeah. Which Michael Bukowski gets all the credit for that. He did ah. most of the work on that. Yeah. yeah I great. remember. I remember we went to uh, we had to find a guy to print us the labels. Mm-hmm. We had to do everything. Oh, I still, yeah. I, he came to find me. Uh, to see if I knew someone that could print out labels and then we grabbed food at like Hollywood burgers and we just like looked up some people and we found a guy down the street like he worked out his house he was printing out the labels wow. there yeah. yeah and then I think I helped Milos put the actual font on the box like yeah. the pappy yeah that was it <laughs> man but yeah so uh yeah pre-production like I said Jake did an amazing job on the uh, like I said on the storyboards, that was that was insane. Yeah. Uh, so how did you go about finding those those actors? Because I know I know obviously we cast Jesse because Jesse is amazing at Jesse's everything he Jesse. does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. Need to say anything more. Hey, Jesse Franks, <laughs> is that a Pappy poster you have above your bed? Is that Jesse? Uh, there's nobody on there's the poster. No okay. Yeah, the poster. <laughs> I was like, yes, Jesse over his bed. <laughs> uh, yeah, that might be a little weird. That's V two. That one's on my ceiling, so I look at it when I lay on my lay on my bed. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, obviously we found Jesse Franks, who we yeah. hope to have on the podcast one day. Dude is an amazing actor, even though, you know, he doesn't say it. He's too, he's too humble. He's too humble. Very humble. Uh, yeah. yeah. And do, I probably wouldn't consider himself an actor, but he's not at all. But like, so good. So good. Yeah. So how did you find the other two guys, Jake and uh, um, with a D, his name starts with a D. Yes. Yes. Derek. Derek. Go, yeah. Yeah. Um, Jake, I have known since kindergarten. So I've known him for a long time and he's always been in theater and acting. And so I was like, yeah, he works. And then Derek, we found uh, through a casting call. I think we were looking at a bunch of people and 
well, we found some people, but their schedule didn't line up. So uh, Derek came up and we were like, yeah, that works. So we put the two of them together and, you know, let them have it. Yeah. I mean, that was uh, so many people. Did you, how many people did you have audition for uh, for his role? Uh, well, we had people send in tapes and mm-hmm. um, a couple of headshots. And I think when we saw his, we were like, yeah, and that was pretty much it. And he was available. So that's the important thing. I remember uh, after that for uh, looking for locations, I remember driving up to Denton and we were just looking yeah. around. And I don't know why we picked a location we did, but it just looked so that good. That spoke to me, man. Yeah. Like we, I remember that day we were walking around Denton and that Queenie Steakhouse, mm-hmm. it was that corner. And I was like, this is exactly what I have in my head. You know, so and I think it worked out beautifully. It did. Uh, my only regret is that we shot it all in one night. That was a nightmare because <laughs> uh, we were going until the morning and literally we were racing against the sun coming up. And, you know, one of the, uh, Derek, the actor, was like, I got to catch a plane. Like, I can't stay here any longer. And we were like, just one more shot, one more shot. Uh, so it was, wow, I'm surprised we finished it. But man, 12 hours, man, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. That's yeah. how long that production went. Yeah. And for me, obviously, I started the whole whole day way earlier because I was looking for all that stuff. So I remember going home after production and like, I was to go down 35. I was good because you know I never really took that route, so I was fine. Mm-hmm. But going down 820 towards my house because I take that every day from school, I was just passing out, passing yeah. out. Yeah, Fuck, it was awful. As but, far uh, as I know, everyone made it home safe. Yeah. So. <laughs> if they haven't, we haven't heard from them. So. Yeah. So with production, um, I remember in our second location, the parking lot we chose, we didn't really have power, so we had to steal power from that uh, dealership. Car dealership was right down the road. That was the funniest thing, man. I don't, even, that. I don't even remember that. Yeah, yeah. Cause, Maybe uh, I didn't know about it. I'm not yeah. I'm not sure. I remember, I, I don't remember who it was that found it. Uh, but yeah, we, we I was like, this parking looks badass awesome. And then we're like, how do we get power? I'm like, shit. Yeah. I didn't think about that. The dealership had lights. They had, somebody checked. They had sockets on the outside. So we just ran like three long uh, <laughs> extension cables from the dealership right to the parking lot. And uh, that's how we had power in the parking lot. <laughs> that was the location we found on the day. Yes. We didn't have that location ready. We're like, yeah, we'll find a parking lot. Yeah, and yeah. the first two we went to didn't work out. Yeah. And so we had to go to that dealership. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I also remember uh, we were worried for our first location. I mean, we knew we were going to start in the dark, but there was some kind of parade going down downtown, and we were like, fuck, we didn't check the schedules. How long is this going to go on? Ended up finishing yeah. actually right on time, perfectly for right. us, actually. Yeah. We lucked out, for mm-hmm. sure. Seriously. Somehow ended up with a film at the end of all of that craziness. That's usually how it goes, though, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like you don't think you're going to make it, and then it just, like you were talking to uh, Timothy Stevens about, uh, his feature mm-hmm. and the stories he was telling. And it's like, yeah, and I think he shot that, what do you say, 10 days or something like that? Something yeah, crazy. forget something like that, yeah. That's insane for a feature. And so I think what he was saying just rings true. And we just had a short, so it wasn't, you know, nearly as uh, time consuming. But yeah, it just seems like it flies by and it's over. It's like, damn. Yeah. Now, the one thing that, like, the biggest thing, the most important thing I feel like that uh, happened on that film was, uh, what was her name? Uh, I can't remember her name. The blonde girl, uh, young blonde girl who was Victoria. there. Victoria. Yes. Her role was one million percent the most important role on the film. She was, uh, uh, that one thing I always say we need on my, my Script like, supervisor. Yes, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Hey, I'm only halfway through the scan. It's not affecting me that much. I'm just I'm just tired. Long day. We well, yeah, script supervisor. That was the most important thing we had because like, she knew exactly what shots we're doing, what shots we're doing next and everything. She planned everything out with uh, you and Jake. 
Yeah. And yeah. No, so great. yeah, any any project we didn't have that on afterwards, which I try to tell a lot of people, we need this, we need this. Ends up going way too long. Ends up, you know, stuff ends up happening. You know, we we talked about that with Jesus uh, on, uh, I think on both of his podcasts. I think actually the second one where he was on, we talked about that. Uh, where I forgot what it was that cop movie he had where that happened. We had a big a big issue with that. Went way over time. But um, yeah, so. Pappy came out. We put it out to a bunch of film festivals. Uh, it won some college stuff. I remember. I heard about that. Yeah. I didn't really. I don't think I was invited. But it yeah, nobody was for the college some, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Nobody. I didn't like. I just heard. Yeah. Kurt Cornelius said he was like, "Oh yeah, I submitted it. Won stuff because yeah. we didn't know anything about." It won that. something at Fort Worth Film Festival in too. the film showcase. Yeah, yeah. we won uh, best horror micro short. Yeah. Yeah, and see if I can ask Neely if he could tell us what place they won, and see if he could record himself, and then we just. Cut into the podcast. <laughs> yeah, there you go. No, but yeah, apparently it did well, and uh, they still show it to this day to new classes. Mm-hmm, so kind of cool. yeah. yeah. So I mean, I feel like well, after us, we still had one more good class. I feel like because there were after the ones after us were still very creative, but past that, I haven't heard of TCC doing much, honestly. Like after the group after us, because we're not there. That's why. Yeah, no, yeah. Joking. We influenced them, so that's why they were good. But they didn't influence the sure. people after. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so what did you do after Pappy? Well, like I said, I think after Pappy, I was pretty much done with school. So I, I didn't pursue university. I just kind of went straight to work. So uh, and working outside the film industry. And so it's tough because, you know, you love filmmaking so much, but you're not doing it, you know, every day. And so um, but that's like I said, you're trying to get other experiences and other ideas to sort of filter into your work. Right. Because um, at least that's my philosophy. I know uh, a good handful of people that did go into the industry and, you know, became gaffers or DPs or what have you. But um, and back to our conversation we were having about film school and is it valuable? Should you go? I think if you're doing a, like a technical job, like if you're if you want to be a DP, I think it's a good idea. Right. If you want to be an editor, I think it's a good idea because how do you become an editor without meeting directors, without meeting DPs, making those connections? But if you're just trying to make stuff and be a filmmaker, like I don't think it's it's necessary at all. I feel like the best thing you get out of is connections, honestly. The best thing is connections, but also just learning the software. If you don't have the dedication to just do it at home and just try and sort things out on your own at home, try and find actual good tutorials. I think school is the best option because yeah. then everything is right there for you. You get access to everything. You could do things hands on. The only thing would be that what we talked about, which is where you feel like maybe you learn too much. That kind of keeps you from being as creative as you were before you started. You know, the only thing I learned that I couldn't have learned on my own was Avid. And I've never used Avid in my life outside of school. Yeah, That software is so annoying. It's so awful yeah. to use. I hate it. I've it's actually so never touched it. Good. Yeah. Good. I've seen it. And I'm like, no thanks. <laughs> nope. I'm good. <laughs> no nope. stick with Final Cut. I always yeah. stuck to Premiere. Yeah, same. Yeah. yeah. And I would use Premiere Elements before I got into TC. And then afterwards, I've just been using Premiere Pro. Yeah. This is another thing that bothers me about a lot of people in the industry. It's like, what software are you using? What, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. It's all technical jargon. Like, what camera? It's like, a lot of that stuff doesn't really matter. Like, just get familiar with one software you like. And if it does the job, you're good, right? So you don't need to know every editing, you know, software. You don't need to know, you know, it's like 
do what works for you. Obviously, don't use like Windows Movie Maker because there's limitations, <laughs> right? Um, but if it if it you know does what you needed to, I mean, and you know it well, that's all that really really matters. It's it's always it comes down to the person because there's people who could do all these technical stuff and still come out creative with the other end. So, have you have you heard of like Rebel Without a Crew, like the oh, series? Dude, yeah. You, have you seen the series? I haven't seen the TV series, but I read the book in one sitting. I was at Barnes & Noble. This was actually recently. This was right <laughs> before Noctopia. I read it, and it kind of just blew my mind because I was in a spot where I was trying to work with teams and crews and collaborate with these big you know, groups of people. But uh, when I read that, it kind of was just like, wow. Yeah, yeah so you really just need you and a camera. And Yeah, Rebel Without a Cruise, Robert Rodriguez's first movie, $7,000. He went out, shot it 16 millimeter. Well, film. El Mariachi is the movie. Yeah. But El Mariachi. Yeah. Shot El Mariachi with a 16 millimeter film, uh, film camera that did not record sound. So mm-hmm. he would have to record the sound afterwards and try and hope that it would match up in the in the edit. <laughs> and so he decided to do like a 20th anniversary thing where he got like four or five filmmakers to also make their own movie for seven thousand dollars. And then he provided some of the equipment, but everything that was being given to them was taken out of the budget. So they got all their film and lighting equipment, but it got deducted from the budget. And then they were able to at least get one or two things for free and then get their cast. And the cast also got paid. So everything gets deducted, but they had to finish it within two weeks, 14 days shooting. And in the series, what you end up seeing is like all these like different experiences people have because there's some guys that are like they already work kind of professionally in film Mm -hmm. they just haven't had like their big features so they had never made a feature but they've been doing like commercials and stuff then you got one guy who's been doing animation and he's doing his first feature for the first time actually working with cameras and working with the crew and then you have some that have worked in film like either as a wardrobe designer or something now directing making a film and you see some with no technical experience whatsoever. That's interesting. Yeah. And so the director that has no technical experience, she decides to get her plus one to be somebody very technical. Hmm. And then they, and then they end up bumping heads a lot because he's so technical where he's like, oh, we can't do that because you can't uh, put a camera there and make sure it's safely, safely tightened on and won't fall over. And, and it comes up with these little things that is like, oh, that's a safety concern. Mm. <laughs> it's like or that's not how you do it oh we can't do that yeah it's like left so brain, yeah right brain yeah safety concerns man speaking of uh just a dumb interjection uh do you remember on uh make high that unreleased movie fucking uh carlos cooking uh, yeah we we t- <laughs> carlos was the director and like he d- run camera on the short film too but what we did we did a shot in the balcony so we had but we couldn't get a lens that was wide enough, so we ended up tying them to the edge of the balcony, and he was hanging off the side. Oh, wow. And, and it was recording. just a bunch of cords, like, around his waist on the oh, fucking man. balcony. <laughs> Safety's number one. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do what we do. We were dumb. <laughs> then he was wearing, like, skinny jeans, so he couldn't even, like, put his foot over. <laughs> he had to go out the side and then and just, just walk, walk, walk all the way around. the whole edge. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Damn. So yeah, uh, I rem- did you uh, did you direct uh, Goodbye Brian? Was that yours as well? I did, yes. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of student short films around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a crazy time. I was working on a bunch of different projects. Uh, my mentality was just like do as much work as possible. But what I found is like it stretches you thin 
like I was saying about Pappy, is like I wish I devoted more attention and uh, time to that rather than stretching myself over like four or five projects. So now I just do one thing at a time. I'm never in post for something and then writing something else. Like I just, I can't do that anymore. So I see something through to the, the very end and then, you know, work on the next thing. Gotcha. But yeah. So what's next, man? Uh, I actually just finished principal photography for my next thing. It's a short, um, it's about, are you guys familiar with liminal spaces? What that is, what that means? I can't say it's like a weird it's like an internet weird thing but anyway so like a liminal space is somewhere that's like it's a place that's familiar but um uncomfortable so it's like a um like a hotel pool at 4 a.m or like you know a, a, a gas station that's closed down but the lights are still on like that weird limbo kind of feeling so the next my next thing explores that idea oh that's so. that's super cool it just makes me think of those those like videos people post up it's like it's a song that's playing, but it's an empty Kmart. Yes. No, <laughs> yeah. that's a liminal space. So that's exactly, it's this kind of like, I don't know if it's cropped up recently, but it's this internet trend where there's all these YouTube videos. You can look them up and it's kind of exactly what you said. It's this eerie music with these visuals. So I, I just was fascinated by that. And I was like, oh, that'd be an interesting place to start for a film. So that'll be the next film. We'll explore that. So. So we talked about something a little bit in one of our car rides right before the, here. Talked about a way some of us have made money during uh, not really having film work, and we got stuck on weddings for a bit. Oh my God, do I hate weddings! <laughs> so what are y'all's experiences? I know you did weddings. Have you done weddings, Manuel? I helped on some weddings before. Yeah, gotcha. I didn't so, like them. <laughs> they were just boring. why not? Why don't you like weddings specifically? <laughs> just standing with a tripod, and that's it. Just watch the camera. Does it stop recording? <laughs> that's that's all you do. Set up a shot. Well, oh. as an assistant, mm -hmm. the the main guy he was out there, you know, getting B roll and stuff. But I was just there, sit, camera watching, camera sitting, and that was just it. Camera. Well, sitting. you don't have to edit. That's good. Yeah, Edit, yeah. Editing weddings is the worst thing because that's where they get you, man. Because you know, it's like you're like, oh yeah, I get all this good money, but then it's like, how long is it gonna take you to edit it? When you cut it down, you get paid like maybe about nine, ten dollars an hour. Which I mean, I guess it's fine, but. You know, when you think about it, like how much money did you get versus how much money, how much time did you spend on it? And it's just it's just annoying. Uh, what about you, George? Well, I, I did stop like taking like wedding gigs. I'll still take like photography, photography gigs for weddings and stuff, but not really shooting video for it. Because one, it's a lot of video to go to, through. And also, you never know exactly what they're looking for. Yeah. yeah. What's your experience with it, Xander? With weddings, mm -hmm. I'm gonna plead the fifth because every wedding I've shot has been for a family member, so I can't say anything. Gotcha, gotcha. gotcha. Um, like those are even the those are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Like it had to be free. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's an interesting subject that you bring up, like making money doing video. Like how do you, I, you know, I've always found that kind of difficult. Um, I started my own company a while ago, like when I was 21 or something. It was called Dream Peak. It was a videography business and. We did a couple of things, we did commercial shoots, but what I always found is like, I don't like negotiating price. I don't like wondering how I'm gonna get paid and like all that sort of stuff. That's always kind of like, I don't know, it's icky for me. Like, I don't know how y'all deal with that, like negotiating or if y'all do do that, do you have set rates? Like, you know, Well, that's one thing that I hear from a lot of people is not knowing how to set their rates. And I was like, that's something you figure out eventually, but I would be like, just do, you're basic if you're already working just what's it costing you 
to leave work for that day to do this film. That's and fair. then just kind of base it off that, or just that plus a little extra. I like that. Yeah, that's what yeah. I try to base mine off of, honestly. Especially, especially if I'm taking a day off of work, I'm like, I need at least to make at least when I'm making there a plus extra. So, because a lot of stuff is on the weekends, and I work on the weekends, so I'm like, if I'm if I'm on the weekends, I want to get paid. Like, I'm not. If I, if it's on my work day and I'm taking it off, I am getting paid. Like, no matter what. Mm-hmm. But um, back to weddings, real quick. You didn't work on the right weddings. That's the biggest thing. So for me, uh, Tresford, um, our friend Tresford, uh, he, uh, I worked on a, on a couple of weddings with him. One of them was you know okay, but the other two were fantastic, mostly because I didn't have to edit, and two. Because uh, those people were Catholics, and that meant that they had alcohol. So the after party was great. Put the camera on autofocus and just... I come from a Catholic yeah. family. I know. <laughs> hey, so if you ever need help filling in your weddings, man, and you got open bar, I'm I'll coming. You know. They might hire me, but if I don't want to do it, I'll, I'll give you a call. <laughs> and as long as I don't have to edit it, buddy. That's all. <laughs> I just don't I'll want do to. that. Okay. Yeah. Those are the better gigs. When you, you don't have to edit, you can just show up and shoot everything. And then not not be responsible yeah. to turn it in. Exactly. Just get paid. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you all this. What is your favorite part of filmmaking? Like, do you like writing posts? Like, I guess each of you. Yeah. So when you're not doing like film writing, are you writing like short stories or do you really just love like doing screenplays? I like writing poems. And from there, I like writing um getting my ideas from poems so true writer right there yeah because it's just like free free writing um creative writing and from there i spark an idea to add dialogue to to the theme of the poem you know yeah to uh get it out there and relate it to people like that's what i like to do um as far as the filming goes i'd step up to the plate and play director or do my role on set but before anything else, it's the writing that really gets me into coming to film to uh, send that message out, not through lyrics, but more like visual. That's that's my thing, writing. Um, what about you? For me, it'd Good be uh, conceptualizing it, like coming up with a concept. And sometimes I'll think of like a scene first and then just build it out from there and then just attach it to like a theme. And then from there, I would start writing afterwards. But it's always like I'm seeing these scenes in my head and then just trying to build connect it all together and stretch it out for me it has to be production like i don't care what i'm doing as long as i'm on set doing something i'm happy uh most of the time i get really get stuck doing audio which is not really my favorite thing but i mean it's all right at least i'm on set and that makes me happy so just being on set doing anything for me is is amazing i love i love being on set what about you man uh this sounds like a cop-out i love it all like i love that's why i do it all because mm-hmm. i'm i've kind of like a there's a lot going on up here for me. So uh, I love, you know, everything. So the editing, the writing, I love coming up with the poster, the tagline, the like all the little details I love that make up a film, you know. Um, I, I've gone through stages in my life, in my filmmaking life, where I've sort of honed in on a specific thing where I'm like, I just want to be a screenwriter. And I, that was the time I joined the scriptwriting class. I was like, I just want to do this. And then I change my mind. I'm like, I just want to compose music for film. And I go through these things. And then eventually I had to just throw my hands up and be like, just do it all. Just do everything because it's, it's so much fun. And that's what makes the medium so fascinating to me is that you can sort of focus on these different, like color grading is another one that I just can spend hours on. So I just, I just, um, I love the medium so much. 
See, my thing also is like, I would love to direct stuff, but I kind of want to direct my own stuff, but I am a terrible, awful writer and I can't never finish a script. So, I mean, if anybody has a script, you want me to direct, you know, I'd love to throw my hands in it because I never really had a proper chance to direct like a proper thing. Mm -hmm. Most of the things a director will like shitty YouTube stuff back in the day. Mostly I get stuck in production, which is fine because like I said, I still love being on set, doing everything. Production is, is amazing, but I'd just love to get a chance to direct something. So I'm gonna try writing a few scripts. That's my kind of resolution, I guess, for this year to actually finish a script and have it filmed. You should. But um, yeah. speaking of scripts and stuff, I know you're an English teacher. How many times have you ripped off a, a student's uh, essay for a script? Oh come on, he's not gonna admit that. <laughs> no, I mean I teach seventh graders, so that tells you enough. That tells you all you need <laughs> no to know. No good ideas. No, no, not good ideas. No. They haven't been through life. They haven't gone through those life-changing events that. They only write about BTS. <laughs> yeah, they only write about BTS. <laughs> yeah, they my, my, yeah. My craziest, most out there student only wrote about BTS, George, and she was she was a handful, man. She was out there like the thing she would say. I'm like, are you sure you're your age? And that's all she wrote about BTS. Like her mind was everywhere. <laughs> Where do you guys get your ideas? This is another question I have. Um, I get my ideas from other movies, you know, um, things I read. I mean, is anything original really? I don't think so, but sometimes you just have to ask the question, um, do you believe, do you really believe what you just saw or do you think you can make it better? And that's when creativity sparks for me. It's like, I think I could, uh, say that message better, but, um, source it and reference it in some kind of way. And I think a lot of movies do that now. Yeah. And that's what I really appreciate. My view on it is like, everything's a remix. So yeah, it's a version of something. But it's always the matter, the way you tell it, because sometimes they could be the same kind of basic idea, but it's in how you tell it that makes it unique. Like one of the one of my longest shorts, <laughs> the most time I spent on a short was based on Reservoir Dogs. Um, I saw Reservoir Dogs. I'm like, man, I can kind of twist it around and make it that the good guy actually went. I mean, uh, for anybody that's not seen Reservoir Dogs, I don't want to spoil it for you, but... Ah, fuck them. They're fine. Yeah. I swear. It's been long enough. Yeah, yeah, it's been long enough. So so I took that idea and I molded it around. I never released the film officially, but I showed it in a competition, which wasn't supposed to be shown, but Miss Floyd... Oh, I remember watching that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The work, yeah, our, our teacher there, she was like really hesitant. She's like, do it, do it, do it. Just show it, just show it, just show it. And then me respecting her so much, I'm like, oh, fuck it. You know what? Let me just show it. And it was a total disaster, but I went back and re-edited it like a year later. And I'm like, okay, this could have been 15 minutes shorter. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, okay, well, you live and you learn. But, I mean, yeah, you just like what George said. Just try to make it better. No, I think uh, Quentin Tarantino made his whole career on remixing. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah. I I was watching Lady Snowblood the other day, and I'm like, oh, this almost completely killed Bill. (laughs) Like right. the whole thing feels like Kill Bill. <laughs> For me, my ideas uh, mostly come from my love of like cheesy action movies and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, all my scripts like have some kind of actiony thing in it. Like it's um, and some comedy, you know, depending on what it is. I think uh, I'd love to get into writing some sci-fi stuff too, but you know that stuff I could never make. I remember one of my favorite scripts I wrote, which I'm so sad I don't have anymore, and I actually wasn't there for a read of it, which also pissed me off. That's the car. There's somebody okay. driving with a loud car. It's okay. It happens every once in a while. Not too loud. We're not going to be heard too loud on the podcast. Um, but, uh, yeah, I remember I wrote the script. I think it was called Stargazer Service or something like that. Something dumb. 
I remember I wasn't there for a read because he called me. We had some kind of production we had to do that night. And I uh, remember again really good notes from Neely on it. Uh, and then I fucking lost the script. I really want that back. I really want to find it, find out what the fuck I wrote and wrote and write the sequel because it's supposed to be like, you know, first five minutes of like a longer thing. But uh, no, nah, I need to find I need to see if I can find that anyway, because that was I don't remember what the fuck I wrote. And I just remember it was good. <laughs> I'd love to read it. <laughs> what, about, was, what about you, man? Yeah, that was actually a question I have for you after watching your films. I'm like, what inspires you? Because I see a lot of horror, in your, horror, films, horror films in your channel. I'm like, these are really good, really suspenseful. I'm like, I wonder what what keeps them going. I don't know, man. They, I don't know where it comes from. Uh, I, it's kind of like you guys said, like remixing different ideas. I sort of see one thing that could be completely unrelated to something else, and I go, oh, that's kind of interesting. Like with my m most recent film, Noctopia, it was sort of the idea of these meditation podcasts. Like I was just like, okay, that's, that's something, but what could that be? Like that's not enough to make a film. And then I started reading about actual, you know, TM, Transcendental Meditation, and I was reading about people having panic attacks while doing it. And I was like, okay, that's a film. Now I can merge that with the podcast and sort of turn it into this, you know, bite-sized horror movie. But in general, I don't know. I just sort of follow my curiosity. I'm on the internet a lot, probably an unhealthy amount. <laughs> and I'm sort of just, same, you know, yeah, with the next film, like the liminal spaces, I just come across something. I'm like, man, I just can't stop reading about this, watching stuff about it. And I think that's a good signal. That's like a green light uh, for me. It's just like, okay, you're obsessed with this topic. You need to get other people interested in this. Um, I think that's a good place to start is your obsessions, your fascinations, and go from there. And as far as horror goes, I mean, that's just where I always find myself. I always say I'm going to do something different. Like Noctopia in my head was a sci-fi film, but everyone's like, oh, it was so scary. I was like, I guess it was a horror film. I don't know. <laughs> I mean... But so that's just where I always end up. I don't really think about it too much. I never go, oh, there's going to be a ghost. There's going to be this. It's just that's kind of how it. I feel goes. maybe sometimes you could just not think about the genre because I guess Alien was always supposed to be a sci-fi, but it's like still a horror film. Yeah, it's yeah. just a horror film in space. But yeah. that's why I really enjoyed your films, though, because Goodbye, Brian mm -hmm. and Octopia. That's what it's called. Yeah. Am I getting the right name? Right? Okay. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. So. I felt a lot of suspense and a lot of horror, but at the same time, I felt like you were mixing in culture into them, like a lot of our current culture. And I was really getting, you know, lost in the film because I'm like, this is what's going on in today's world. And you did a great job of doing that. I'm like, he's a present day filmmaker, but he has a lot of elements that make these classic horror movies something special to watch. I was like, man, I swear this could be pushed on to be like a series a feature i don't want to get into like black mirror because i've never really seen black mirror yeah but what i hear from black mirror i'm like he's got the touch and he's got the he's got the mind and the visuals to uh hit that route and that's what people love to see this these days so congrats on that man thank you appreciate that and that's something i love working in it's like a sort of there's people that love to reference the past. I've definitely done things like that or sci-fi, like what's the future going to be like? I sort of like working in this weird, and it's exactly what you said, what Black Mirror always works in is a, a sort of alternate version of the present, right? So that's how I see Noctopia is like, this could happen today. This is like a new age sort of thing. And a bunch of people told me that they're like, I could definitely see this happening like tomorrow. You know, this app comes out and it's like, a total, I don't know if you call it like a glitch in the system or like, you know, someone's fucking with you, but 
um, I kind of like that spot of uh, present day. It could happen, but it's just slightly skewed. It just feels slightly, you know, out of time. For sure. That's so. why we talked about limited space. Liminal spaces? Liminal spaces, yeah. Future um, film on the internet. I'm, I'm bought into it, man. You start a fundraiser, here's like, here's a couple of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, it's actually going to be a short, um, I, maybe I could make it a feature, I don't know, but um, there's going to be no dialogue. It's all visuals because Noctopia was a lot of um, talking and sound and it, that was very, so I was like, I want to go the other way. I want to do uh, no dialogue, all visuals. So it's definitely going to be experimental. I hope people dig it, but. Hey man, I'm yeah. down to help. Just yeah, if you like need help, help, let yeah. me know. Yeah. I think we all are. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, George, uh, just real quick, uh, watching Noctopia, because it's about the tapes and stuff, that really did remind me of like the original concept of Meikai, the unreleased movie, which wasn't finished because our actress well, decided to bitch out. So that makes sense. Yeah. Well, good, because our movie's never going to come out because the actress, actress literally quit on us like, like before about probably about three, four days before we finish. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, so um, yeah, that movie was weird. It was all about tapes. This is listening to a tape like a little tape and at the end like it was just like a hypnotic thing to get like an uh, get a high through that it was all about drugs basically we nice. the only thing that survives of it is an opening thing where you know you see people by the way great method method actor there we had an alcoholic on set playing alcoholic it was great it was awesome he was like let me be drunk for my drunk role yes you know what's interesting <laughs> about that you said you were making a film about you know tapes and audio being at the forefront that's another mm-hmm. thing of like People say, oh, don't, you know, show, don't tell. And then another one you hear is like, never do voiceovers. You hear that all the time. And it's like, fuck it. I love voiceovers. Yeah. I love, you know, <laughs> the the opening of Looper. Have you guys seen the movie Looper? Yeah, I like that movie. Yeah, just that voiceover. I have so many people bitch about it. Like, I love it, you know. And Noctopia is basically one long voiceover. And, you know, student film or film students would like shit their pants and be like you can't do that but it's like <laughs> there's nothing you can't do like it's a it's your film yeah it you becomes can... one of those weird rules that's not really a rule yeah but people will like bit... die by it it's yeah. so weird i forgot who i heard was talking about it because there was a a bigger like a well-known director talking about it that people just weren't using uh voiceover so much and he wanted to use it in his film but he's like but people are like, oh, don't use voiceovers because yeah. it's cop out. Yeah, but he's exactly. like, his favorite movie was Goodfellas. It's like, that's all voiceover. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I, I think that's what a lot of people don't understand. It's like, you can just break the rules. Like, yeah. I mean, honestly, there's not no set rules. If you yeah. can find a good way to do it, just do it the best way you can figure out. My my best example of show don't tell is in the Blair Witch Project, which I'm I'm guessing you guys have seen where. Uh, at the end, they're running from the tent, and she sees something, and she goes, oh, my God, what is that? What is that? And you don't see it. I mean, <laughs> is that not the best case for, you know, telling and not showing, right? Because you don't see the witch in the original Blair Witch, but she's screaming, pointing off camera, saying she sees something. I mean, if that, like, just show people that in film school and be like, you can do this. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, though, like, a lot of times those things do become cliche, and, you know, it's like, it's a, it is a... Depending on how you look at it, it can be a cop out. It's just you know if oh, you do sure. if you do it creatively. I mean anything could be a cop out. Yeah. Like you like you say the whole thing, the whole creative thing. Like that's just getting old because I mean the whole uh, like I said, formulated thing is also getting old. Yeah. So it's like that can be also seen as a cop out nowadays. But I mean yeah, it's, if you do it good, man, it doesn't really matter what the fuck you do as long as it turns out you know well. Yeah, just ignore yeah. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, just make whatever. Um, I don't. The know most guys... important thing is that you like it, and then if the audience likes it, eh. Yeah. You know. 
mean, one that's thing, important, but one thing like I've that. been thinking of recently is um, I don't know if you guys have heard of the horror movie that came out last year called Host, but it's basically a feature film that's like 57 minutes long. And so it's not your typical like 80, 90 minute, but it's great because it's like because of streaming, you know, it, who's to say a feature film can't be. 45 minutes, so, you know, an hour or like four hours and then cut it's up. It's host the, the film where it takes place like all through Zoom? Yeah, they yeah. do a seance through oh, Zoom. yeah, I remember. And it's, it's so fast paced and there's a reason for it. Like the story is just as long as it needs to be. The director was like, oh crap, I got to fill 20 more minutes. Like when you watch it, it's so lean. And I would love to see more stuff like that where it's sort of not your typical 90 page three act structure, like the thing we're so used to. Of course, we're still going to have that, but I would love to see more feature films play with. I think now with streaming, that might be be like something that's going to start up soon. Yeah, because now like TV shows, like the time on them are so random. They'll be like 30 minutes on an episode, then like 50 minutes another episode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, dude. That's that's how those Marvel shows has been. Have you been watching the Marvel shows? Not really. No. I don't know, but I do that myself, man. I do fast forwarding movies all the time. Because you're like, let's get to it. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Just like I I already missed it. Twenty minutes into this. Yeah. Let me just get to that and see what happens. (laughs) Someone sometimes you just don't have time. Yeah. But I agree. Good idea. Speaking of time, we uh, are kind of in a little bit of a limit because. one of the batteries in our cameras is about to die in a bit. And like I said, this is a video podcast as well. Uh, so uh, we're going to wrap it up here in the next couple of minutes. We can still talk for a little bit. But uh, yeah, anything else you guys want to talk about in the last closing minutes of the podcast? Y'all got any big, big old important topics? Well, Alex, would you like to end on telling us like one of your favorite experiences in filmmaking? Oh, that's a good question. Um, wow. That's a tough one. You know... I don't know. I don't know if I could wrap it up that quickly and talk about it. That's fine. We still have another like 10, 15 minutes. I don't know. Yeah. Man, I wasn't ready for that one. All right, <laughs> maybe maybe at, off air. I'll let's go that uh, off air. <laughs> let's ask Manuel that because I know me and you talked about that, I think, last time with uh, Jerry and uh, uh, Jerry and uh, uh, Jesus, but I don't think you were there for that. So what about you? I'm not the host. I'm not the guy. <laughs> He's like, hey, I'm yeah. not the guy. But um, my favorite what? Uh, your favorite experience <laughs> filmmaking. Oh, I, I think I do have one, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, so when Octopia played, it played at the Ethereal Fest in Austin. And they were they have an Instagram page, and they were, like, promoting all the films and stuff. And I got a notification that this person followed me. And I was like, that name sounds really familiar. And I was like, oh, they must have come from the Ethereal, you know, film festival page. And it was Ashley Lawrence, the lead in Hellraiser. Oh, my like, God. Like, following me on Instagram. I was like, whoa. So that was a very weird and cool moment. But, uh yeah, that's probably one of them. That's probably not that great, but... Oh, man, that's amazing, man. I mean, that's like one of the... It's like, you know, a fanboy thing, obviously, and you like one yeah. of your... You know, one of your favorite people likes your work. That's the same thing. I actually sent Pappy to uh, that guy, John Johnson, who inspired me to do filmmaking. He's like, dude, I fucking love this. Oh, that's awesome. So that was one of my favorite moments. It's yeah. just, you know, him going like, yeah, man, this is badass. Yeah. Oh, no, also, I know, I know what to close it out on. Pappy's, Pappy's sequel, when... <laughs> That, you gotta talk to Kevin about that. That's his <laughs> property, not mine. So, because um, I remember, like you said, you you ended up sharing it on this uh, subreddit on a horror subreddit, and ended yeah. up getting a couple thousand views on there, and people like they really like it. Yeah, it was on the the front page for a while, mm-hmm. uh, like a whole day, and it was like at the very top. And there's like a million people on that subreddit. It was crazy. It was crazy. But, yeah, um, yeah, that was a cool moment as well. 
All right, let us know what social medias people can follow you on. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Zandwagon and then uh, YouTube Horatorium. <laughs> Zandwagon, Zandwagon is hilarious. <laughs> well, uh, like that. Mr. Zandwagon, thank you so much for being on our podcast. Thank you guys for uh, having me. We fucking love that. That's hilarious. Also, Pappy sequel. Kevin, if you ever watch this, we need it, bro. Write it. Let's fucking go. Or or a feature. Some people have been wanting a feature. Yeah, yeah. Know. Let's do a feature. As long as we can get Jesse back in to be the main actor. Like, that's my only condition. You gotta have him. That's back, my yeah. only condition for that movie. We have to have that. But anyways, Xander, thank you so much for being on, con- on our podcast. Uh, thank you for co-hosting George Manuel. You spoke more than usual this time. I love you for it. Thank you, man. All right. Again, I'm your host, Milos Bukaritsa. Thank you so much for listening and watching this episode of the One Up Podcast. And uh, follow us on Instagram, on Facebook, The Upization. We'll leave links in the description below on the video and also on the Spotify thing, right? Mm-hmm. For everything, for his stuff, for our stuff. And that's it. Thank you, guys. And you will hear us in like a week or two. Bye-bye. <laughs>